Judgment. One more time. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want you to think with me today briefly about the danger of a flawed perception. If you have ever experienced prejudice or experienced discrimination, you have been judged, you have been misunderstood, somebody has questioned your motives, you have been on the other side of favoritism, this is going to speak to you today. And I want to tell you, I think all of America needs to hear this message. I think it's going to speak to you. If you didn't come here to be entertained, if you came to be fed by the Word of God, you're going to be fed by God's Word today. I promise you that. So get ready. Here we go. Let's pray together. All right. Heavenly Father, we open ourselves before you. We want to hear what you're saying. I don't want to be just a hearer, but I want to, to do what you say. Oh, Father, I'm so inadequate in my own self, but you have called me today to deliver this word, and I, I boldly step into that opportunity. Thank you for the privilege of calling me to this task, and thank you that you're going to feed our souls today and that we are going to do what you say. I ask you to make us doers of this word, not hearers only, in Jesus' strong and mighty name, and everybody said together, amen, amen. You may be seated. All right, here we go. I want you to understand that perception is everything. It is everything. Most people are blind to the idea that you don't see the world as it is. You see it as you perceive it to be. I have these glasses, and they have this thing called transitions. I walk out into the sunlight, and they start to darken, which means that I begin to see the world through a filter every time I go outside. So you and I could go outside, and we could stand together in the same situation looking at the same thing, and I'm going to perceive it differently than you. Why? Because I'm looking at life through a filter. Now, everybody has them. You've all got transitions. Everybody sees life through their filter. And their perception affects the way that they live. So you can, you've seen this at work. You've got one person who goes to work, and they just get up in the morning, get to work. It's, I hate my job. I hate coming here every morning. I hate the people here. It's all gossip. People stab you in the back as anything. They're awful. Blah, complain. They're upset. That's their experience. The next person sitting in the same building, parked in the same parking lot, came in through the same front door. God, thank you for this job. I am so grateful for a job. I'm glad to be here today. I'm glad that you're providing for my needs. God, make me productive and useful. Same building, same company, same parking spot, same front door, two totally different perceptions. Are you understanding? So, so you have a single person who feels it's a curse to be single. God, I hate going home alone. God, I'm so upset. God, you never answer my prayer. I got to go home to this lonely house every single day. No one to help me. I have to be both the man and the woman. I have to buy all the groceries. I've got to carry them all the way in by myself. I have to clean by myself. I'm alone. I'm sick and tired of being alone. Same kind of house. Different person walks into their house and goes, God, thank you for the privilege that there's nobody here to bother me. Thank you, Lord, that I have nobody that is going to complain. I don't have to cook a meal. If I want to go out to dinner, I can go out to dinner. If I want to stay home, I can stay home. If I want to clean, if I don't want to clean, it doesn't matter. I can do whatever you, I want. God, thank you for the privilege of letting me live alone. It all depends on your perception. You see, perception is so powerful. It shapes everything that we think or everything that we see. When, when, when Satan tried to get at the first people, when he tried to come in and beguile Eve and take control over humanity, he didn't, 
He didn't use a demon. He didn't do some special magic sorcery trick. He didn't pull the wool over their eyes in some, you know, a supernatural way. He just began to work on their perception. What do you mean? Well, he said, you know, today if you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. Is that what he said? Well, listen, you know why he said that, don't you? Because he knows that you're going to be wise. And he began to work on her perception. What's he doing? He's playing with the way she perceives her reality. And so then she takes and she eats from the fruit because she had a flawed perception now. She goes over to her husband and tells her her flawed perception. He's standing there looking at a beautiful naked woman who says, this is what I'd like you to do. And he goes, okay, I perceive that's a good thing to do. (laughs) And so he just kind of blindly... You know, he just goes with his perception, this should be a good thing, and in the doing so, because of their flawed perception, all of humanity fell. Now, what does he do with you? He does the same thing with you all the time. He plays with your perception of the situation. You know, God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. God's not interested. I mean, if God really loved you, he wouldn't let what's going on happen to you. You've missed the best part of your life. You should have taken care of stuff years ago. Now, there's no way the best years of your life are still out ahead. I mean, you've missed your opportunity. Nobody understands me. Nobody understands. Do you understand? What is he doing? He is playing with your perception of reality, and perception is powerful. Now, if you understand this, you understand this is exactly what James has been trying to teach us over these last few weeks, that what if your perception could be changed? I mean, what if instead of asking God to change the situation, what you should be asking God is to change you and change your perception of how the situation is? What if that's the prayer? God, change my perception. God, change the way this is looking to me. Because that's really the question. What if this isn't all so bad? I mean, what if the very pain that you're going through, God has a purpose in it? What if he's really trying to sift out all that is mundane and broken and useless and leave you with a solid foundation, an incredible sterling character? What if he's trying to prepare you for something that's ahead? What if the real goal is the key quality of perseverance that every Christian needs to have, that, that no great Christian ever succeeds without the ability to say no, without the ability to just to, to, to be able to do what's right and not just go with their feelings? What, what if that's the goal? What if God is really up to something good? And if you get that if you say, I perceive a new reality, James says, now we can talk. Because listen, in spite of all that's going on, if you'll stop blaming God and you'll start pointing the finger and you'll get off of stuck and you'll start to see that there's a whole new reality, I'm going to start to instruct you on how you should live. He talks about being doers of the word last week and not just hearers only. Don't just audit Christianity. Don't just like listen to the message and listen to the word like it's just something to hear and go home and be unchanged, but really let it get deeply planted in you and then motivate deep change in your behavior. Now, friends, I understand this takes time. Right now, you're experiencing some of the harvest of what God deposited in you months and months ago, and you're seeing the harvest today. And what's going into you today is going to take some time and as God begins to work that within you. But eventually, if that word gets inside of you and you have the heart to say, God, I'll do what you asked me to do, when your perception starts to change, you'll start to change. And God's going to start to do something great in you in the process. And so the person that says, God, I'm willing to do, I'm willing to to say, what are you teaching me? James says, great. Because it's not what you say you believe, it's what you do. And notice as we get into the second chapter is the very first thing he says, okay, now here's what I want you to do. The very first thing he says, 
I want you to treat people right. <laughs> you can know everything about the scripture. You, you can invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. You can say, Lord Jesus, I have great faith in the glorious God of the universe. And you can read the Bible, and if you don't treat people the right way, he says, it doesn't matter. Look what he says in verse 1. We read that just a moment ago. He says, my brothers and sisters, don't hold to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. In other words, you can't say that you're a Christ follower, that you have faith in Christ, and then discriminate, and then be prejudiced against people according to how you perceive them. That's what prejudice is all about. I perceive a person to be this way, so I make a judgment. I, I perceive them to be like this, so I, I discriminate, or I, I make a favoritism call. There's all kinds of ways that we're making judgments. Let me just name a few that are so common to us. We make judgments about appearance. Everything in this world is about how we look. And so beauty, if you're cute, you've got it made. If you're plain, you've you got some work to do. I mean, it's a hard world to live in. Just saying. We judge people over how they look and how they dress. We judge people about their age. Oh, he's too old. Oh, she's too young. We judge people according to the color of their skin, by their race, by their ethnicity, what they look like. We judge people by what we think they've achieved. We are, we are after people who have success. We look at people who've achieved something and we say, that's who we praise and that's who we celebrate and we have no time for the losers. We're a, we're a, a, a culture that is, that is struck with celebrity worship. I mean, the people who are successful, the people of great fame, we worship, even Christianity has its superstars now. It's just infiltrated into our whole, our whole way of thinking. So we value people and we make judgments based upon their level of success. James brings up one here. He says, we, we judge people economically. We judge people about how rich they are or how poor they are. In fact, when was the last time you really thought about your attitude about people who are less fortunate or less wealthy than you or people who make more than you. What is your attitude towards people who make a lot more than you do? And so James takes this one particular area of judgment, and he says, I'm going to use this as my example. And he tells the story of two people who showed up to church one day. They were guests. They were strangers. And we know that because they didn't know where to sit. And so they walk in. The first guy is dressed impeccably. He is, he's put together. It's obvious he's wealthy. He's exuding wealth. He's got rings on every finger. In fact, the, the Greek there is, is gold-fingered, <laughs> really. And, you know, in those days, you could actually rent gold rings. It was part of their culture to show how wealthy that you were. And so he walks in, and the, the greeters are excited. A rich guy. In fact, you need to know this, that most of these people in the church back then, they were very poor. I mean, they were poverty-stricken. A lot of them were slaves. And so to have somebody of wealth come in, I mean, that's a notable thing. I mean, hey, this guy could help us. Hey, come down here. Here's their best seat. Here's a nice place to sit. Uh, everyone, let's welcome, you know, the great man who's come to visit us today. We want to be known that these are the kind of people that we are attracting, and they sit him down on the front in a place of honor. Another guy comes in, and he's, he's clearly poverty-stricken. said his clothes were filthy, so he hasn't had a bath. He's, he's a homeless guy. He, he doesn't look good. He doesn't smell good. He doesn't look right. And the greeters have a little conference, and they say, we can't put that. Here, come back here. We got a corner for you in the back. In fact, just sit on the floor. It's the ultimate put-down. So James uses this kind of grand, you know, uh, large uh, example to basically say this message to you and me. 
that there is no place for partiality or prejudice in the body of Christ. It's absolutely incompatible. Jesus accepted everybody. Jesus uh, treated everybody with dignity. And so it's totally incompatible to be a follower of Christ and to be someone who displays any kind of judgment based on the externals. Now, God is a God of no partiality. Uh, Paul tells about that in Romans chapter 2. In Acts chapter 10, you know, Peter figures this out, that there can be no partiality with God as he goes to the house of a Gentile. Paul continues to write in Galatians uh, chapter 3 and Coloss- or in Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians chapter 3, keeps saying the same thing over and over. There is no partiality with God. God shows no favoritism. He does not care what a person looks like on the outside. Did, did he not say this about David? I don't choose people uh, like you choose. I look for one who is after my own heart. In 1 Samuel, it says that God does not judge by the externals. He only looks at the heart of people. So God loves everybody. And I think what James is saying, he says, in the body of Christ, if we're going to start day one, ground zero, with the very first action, that there at least ought to be one place in the entire world with all of this discrimination that it doesn't matter what you look like, what you wear, how much money you have, where you are in life, success or no success, failure, whatever you've gone through, you're welcome here. Everybody is welcome. You can come without any fear of any kind of discrimination. He's talking about that's the body of Christ. That's what it's supposed to look like. Amen, Darren. Come on, tell it like it is. I hope so. So he, he, he starts to, to write a little bit more about this. Verse 5, look at this. Listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? I'm so glad he wrote that because it helps define exactly what he's speaking of. Because he's not saying that it's just good to be poor. Like there's some sort of special value on poverty that we should all attain to. Like poverty is good and rich is bad. It's not what he's saying. He's not saying that that only the poor will be saved because that would be bad news for us because all of us in this room are more wealthy than the people that, that this letter was written to. In fact, we're all more wealthy than most of the people who lived in this world. So he's not talking about this special place in heaven for poor people. But what he is talking about and what he's desperately trying to get through, that God takes special interest in the marginalized. God takes a special interest in the oppressed, in people who are poor, people who are without, people who have no one to stick up for them. Jesus, when he showed up in the world, his very first sermon, the first day, the first thing he said when he gave his sermon was, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news to who? To the poor. To preach to those who have nothing. To to preach to those who were rejected by society. To preach to those who are addicted and broken and oppressed. To tell people that are oppressed that that I'm going to set them free from their oppressors. That the year of the Lord's favor has come. This was really, really good news. And so Jesus cares about justice. He cares about the plight of the poor and about people who are oppressed. And so he says, because this is so important to me, if you act in in an impartial way or in a partial way and you reject something that I value so much, you're really dishonoring me. You're not representing me. You look nothing like me. You don't even represent my heart. And so so he says this. He says this in verse 6. You've dishonored this poor man when you show partiality. It's like a big deal, dishonoring of the poor. How dare you do that? 
He says, come on, don't you know it's the rich? They're the ones that are, you're trying to impress this guy. It's the rich that are calling you into court. It's the rich that are oppressing you. It's the rich that are mocking the name that, that you call. They're the, they're the ones hauling you into the Colosseum and, and, and burning you for sport. So if you really want to fulfill, if you don't want to just be a hearer, but you want to do what's right, and I think I'm talking to a whole room of people who came here today to say, all right, speak to me. I want to do what God says. Then he says, if you want to fulfill the royal law of Scripture, which is love your neighbor, that's a really good desire. That's the right desire to have. You'll do well if you do that. Why is it called the royal law? Because if we just obeyed this one law, it takes care of all the rest. We wouldn't need any others. It's the only law that matters. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the great commandment of Jesus found in Luke chapter 15. And they asked him, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment of all? He says, well, you know, love God with all your heart. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment of Jesus. You know what the first question they asked him when he he shared that? (laughs) The first thing they said? Well, who's my neighbor? It's a partiality question. Like, like, Okay, God, I know what you're saying, like, love your neighbor, but who do I not have to love? I mean, who is the neighbor? Who's the one that I'm going to, I like, I would like to like, and tell me who are the people that I, I could disqualify as being my neighbor so I don't have to do it, anything with them? It's a partiality question. And so Jesus, rather than even argue, I mean, I can just see him rolling his eyes like, oh. He just tells him a great story. And I think it's one of the best stories in the whole Bible. I think this is the one of the most important stories because it's answering the question, what's the greatest commandment? So, so here's this story from Luke 15. And by the way, this whole church is founded on this story right here. So, so there's, there's this guy that's leaving Jerusalem and going down to Jericho. Jericho's a city that's cursed. Nobody lives there. It, it, it's, it's a bad place. All kinds of crazy stuff going on there. But this guy's on his way to Jericho, and he is waylaid by the bandits. I mean, bad people. And he's attacked, and he's robbed. He shouldn't have been on that road, probably. And they beat him, and they they rob him, and they leave him for dead, bleeding and dying on the Jericho road. So some people begin to walk by, and they're the subjects of Jesus' story. The first one is a priest, uh, the, the highest office in the Jewish religion. And this guy starts to walk. It it says in the scripture very clearly, he doesn't even go over. I mean, he walks around. He doesn't even go, he doesn't even get close. Why? He shouldn't even have been on that road. He shouldn't have been going down to Jericho. Yeah, I'm not having anything to do with you. You made this mess, you're in it. You know, it's your problem. I'm on my way to the church. So he doesn't even look over. I can't even imagine. But, But Jesus illustrates, you know, what religion does when it's judgmental. And then another person walks by, and this time it's a Levite. It's one of the worship leaders. It's one of the people that conducts the worship of the temple. The scripture's a little easier on this guy. This guy actually walks over, and he looks down, and he sees the condition of the man, but then he backs up, and he walks on the other side. And you you wonder, what has to happen in the heart of a person to walk over, look at a person in great need, bleeding and dying, and then walk away and, and go on his way? Well, you have to understand something about religion and all of its rules and its regulations and, and how it can so miss the point and, and how this guy is going, you know what, I'd like to help, I, I want to, but if, I, if, I, if you die, if I, if I touch you, if I get involved, I'm going to be unclean. And if I'm unclean, I can't minister. I'll be disqualified for ministry in the church, which is where I'm going. So I'd love to, but I, I, I can't. I got to go. We have a Stevens ministry that could pray for you. I'll send some people back, but, you know, uh, me, I got to go. <laughs> so 
So he goes on his way, withdrawing, preoccupied with what he has to do. And then a third person comes by, and it's this Samaritan. This is a guy that's hated by the man who's bleeding on the road. The Jews hated Samaritans, hated them. But this guy just has no regard for the guy's race. He just accepts him. It's, this is a human being that needs my help. And he goes down and he gets himself involved. He gets his hands dirty. He gets his hands in the blood. He begins to bandage his wounds. It says very specifically the oil and the wine, just like the old westerns. He's pouring the alcohol, you know, cleaning the cuts, and it hurts and it stings. And then he's putting the oil on to soothe and to, to heal. And he bandages him up. Whatever his agenda was, it's gone. Whatever business he had, who cares? I'm now engaged with caring for this person. Puts him on his own vehicle. Takes him to the hotel. Gets to the hotel, spends the whole night, I mean, nursing, caring for this guy. In the morning, goes down to the innkeeper and, and says... Here, here's 200 denarii. Take care of him till I come back. 200 denarii, that's like two-thirds of a year's wage. I mean, that's a lot of money for a working person. I know, keep it, take care of him. If you run more, till I, by the time I'm back, I'll bring you some more. I'll pay for everything. And when you start re- listening to the details of this story, you realize that Jesus has put himself in his own story. Jesus is the good Samaritan. Jesus is the one despised and rejected. Jesus is the one who came down from heaven and down to the place of the broken, to the planet that was cursed, to people who had no business being on that road. And by the way, you did that. You knew times in your life where you said, I have no business going there, and you went anyway. And you went there, and God still rescued you, and God still pulled you back, and God still helped you. And still had a way and still wasn't, he, he was not prejudiced against your rebellion. He didn't care that you were, you were a sinner or that you were far from God. He got into your business. And just like the, the gospel of John, it says the word of God became flesh and he dwelt among us and he was full of grace and full of truth. And he knows just the right amount of, of truth, just what, how much wine that wound needs and how much oil it needs, how much grace we need. It's just an amazing picture of how God himself comes down to where we are and gives us the truth that hurts, but we need to hear it. And he gives us all the grace and he accepts us. And an incredible act of generosity gives the ultimate sacrifice, giving his own life on the cross for you and for me. That's an incredible message. That's why he says there can't be any partiality. Which one of these guys was the neighbor? And they can't say the word Samaritan. They choke out <laughs> the one who showed him mercy. And he says, right, go, go show mercy. Mercy, mercy, show, show mercy to the one. And so if Jesus was telling the story today to us, if Luke 15 was happening to us, he wouldn't use the word Samaritan. He wouldn't talk about a Samaritan because we think Samaritans are good people. You break down on 465, the little Samaritan van may stop and help you and you'd be, yes, thank you so much and you'd love that guy. But Samaritans were hated by the Jews. If, if God's gonna send you some help, if God's gonna start to shift your, your perception, he's gonna send somebody that your perception has a problem with. He's going to send somebody that you have an issue with. So for the Jew, it would be, I'll send along the good uh, Palestinian. Or for the Palestinian, he's going to send along the good Jew. Or for maybe some of you, he would say, listen, I'm sending you the Muslim. Or I'm sending you somebody from the gay community. I'm sending you a Democrat. I'm sending you a Republican. I'm sending you that person you can't stand to come to you. I mean, come on. How, how, how do you perceive, who's that one that you perceive? We've all got somebody. 
I think if James was writing this message to us, he wouldn't talk about the rich guy and the poor guy. He, he might, but I think, I think there'd be a greater, a greater opportunity he might tackle. I think he might say to us, he might say, so, so two guys walk into the, your church, a really well-dressed, put-together white guy and a black teenager in a hoodie walks in. What are you gonna do? And the murder of Trevon Martin is a stark, stunning reminder about where we really are as a culture today and the danger of a perception that's gone flawed and perception that, and if you don't know who Trevon Martin is, I can tell you every black person in America who knows, knows who that is today. Trevon Martin got up, he's a teenager, put on to him what was athletic shoes, jeans, and a hoodie, went out for a walk to the 7-Eleven or wherever to get some iced tea and some candy. Puts on a hoodie, tennis shoes, and, a, and some jeans, and that's the uniform of a suspicious person to George Zimmerman. George Zimmerman calls 911 and says, uh, and they, they tell him, don't follow him. He follows him anyway because of his perception, and he gets in his car, follows him, tracks him down, accosts him, confronts him, and eventually guns him down in the neighborhood. They don't arrest George Zimmerman. In Florida, they have a law that said that, hey, it was self-defense. They don't arrest him. He's still not arrested to this day. He is still free, which tells you something about the perception of those who came to the scene and the police officers and the police department. A kid, 17, who is armed with an Arizona iced tea and some Skittles, dead. Because he's been judged by the amount of melanin in his skin. And I'm telling you, this has just got me floored. I'm brokenhearted about this. I'm outraged. I'm so angry. I'm so frustrated. All of my closest friends in this city are African-American pastors. And I've been talking to them, and they're all having conversations with their sons about what it means to be a young black man in America. And this is totally off the radar of white evangelicals. We're not even paying attention, and it's embarrassing. And there's some laws that have to be changed, and there's some things that have to be done, and there's some injustice that needs to be made right. Delayed justice is no justice at all. And you say, well, we have no business talking about that in the church. Who's edited your Bible? Isaiah 58 says, don't bring me your worship and your singing and your praise and all your, your fasting and all the great stuff that you do. What I care about is justice. I care about what happens to the poor. And I care about what happens to the oppressed. And I care about what happens to those who are discriminated against. <laughs> worship me that way. Do something about that. And I'll accept your worship. James says, this is so serious. And he talks about it in the strongest of terms. In fact, Jesus says, if you say that you love God, but you harbor hate in your heart towards your brother, then the love of God is not in you. you, you, you have, it, it's not working. There's no mercy going to be shown to you. Listen to what, how, how, how harshly James takes it. He says uh, in verse 9, if you show partiality, I mean, if you harbor that, it, that prejudice, that, that judgment of people based on the externals, you commit sin and you are convicted by the law as a transgressor. What? I mean, that's kind of harsh, right? No, no. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in this point, he's guilty of it all. You know, I didn't commit murder. I mean, I didn't commit adultery. Yeah, but if you break the great commandment, 
I mean, if you break the big one, if you break the one, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're guilty of it all. I mean, how many rules, laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. How many crimes do you have to commit to be a criminal? One. I mean, have you ever been in one of those stores where they say, you, you break it, you bought it? They don't care how many pieces it came in. And if you broke it in one piece or a thousand pieces, you break it, you bought it. It just takes one. And so Jesus is saying to you and to me, I hope that, I think it's a message of conviction. And that's why he goes straight to this amazing verse where he talks, I think he's recalling what his older brother once said, Jesus. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And he talks about like, so if you wanna, if you wanna say the right thing and you wanna do the right thing, so speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What's that? That, that Christ gave his life for you. That's the new law, that, that he died on the cross, that he gave his life for all your sin and all your mistakes and all the prejudice and all the stuff you've done so that you could live a life of mercy towards others. Because if he's gonna give his mercy to you, then he's expecting you to pass that mercy on to others. Da- preach Darren Chesky, come on. Somebody understand what I'm talking about, that this is the way we're called to live. Love treats people with mercy. God gives people not what... Not what they deserve, but what they need. He gives you what you need. You need mercy. And so that's why he says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. But if you'll show mercy, love triumphs over judgment. Love triumphs over judgment. Now, how, how will that happen? How, how will we become a people that, that lives this out? We take the same values that come out of that story when Jesus says, here's how you love people well. Here's how you're supposed to love. Here's how you love your neighbor. There were three values in there. Empty religion, religious culture is judgmental. It withdraws away. It's preoccupied with what's going on in its walls. But what Jesus was saying, here's how you love people. It's it's unconditional acceptance. You, You get involved and you start to help and you're incredibly sacrificially generous. Acceptance, help, and generosity. Number one, accept everybody. If you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Accept everybody, everybody, everybody. Well, I don't know if I can accept everybody. Darren, you don't know what, listen, the problem is you guys confuse approval and acceptance. You can have somebody, you can say, I don't approve what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing, but I love you. I'm gonna treat you the right way. This is what James has been after all the time. Get a new perspective, change the lenses. Change. When you change your perspective, it'll change you. Accept everybody. It says in Romans chapter 15, accept everyone. And so this has got to be that one place. If there's any place in this horrible, judgmental world, this has got to be a place where it doesn't matter what color you are or where you came from or what you did or what your background is or what you look like or if you're rich or if you're poor. We just accept you. You're welcome. You don't have to believe everything exactly like I believe on the essentials, we we unify around the essentials. And I think it blesses God's heart that we get together like that, this side of heaven, and show the world what heaven on earth really looks like. So accept everybody. And then help everybody. Help, engage, do something. Do something. 
have the heart to serve. And I was thinking about this a lot. God, what can I say is probably one of the most important places where, where our people can really help, and not here in the church, I mean help this culture right now. Okay, so here it is. We live in a culture that is marked by criticism. Somebody does something wrong, you know, they'll attack them. They'll just rip them to shreds. And I can say with all sincerity that we're not too far behind the culture on this. So instead of beating on someone when they're down, when people stumble, because we're all human, when they stumble, I want you to encourage instead of criticize. I want you to have an encouraging heart instead of a critical spirit. I want to talk to my members here today. If you're a guest, I'm not really messing with you, but, but if you're part of this church and you claim this is your home, this is, this is I'm your pastor, and I'm telling you, stop the criticism. Stop the critical blogs and the critical tweets and the qu- critical uh, Facebook posts. All of that is garbage. That's not the way that Christians act. It's got to stop. And I'm saying that to you because I love you. <laughs> I say that out of a heart of love. I'm your pastor. If I don't tell you this, who else is going to tell it to you? I, I'm telling this to help you. Defriend people who are filling your box with all that negative stuff. Get rid of that. You, life's too short. Fill your, fill your life. I mean, if somebody unfollow people who are just spouting negativity and criticism. You've got you've to make a decision. Am I going to be an encourager? Am I going to help the situation? Do I have something to add to help, to pick someone off the floor? Especially people who've blown it, who've made mistakes. Especially people who did the wrong thing. Where is Jesus for that person? Who's going to walk over and say, man, you blew it, but I love you. I care about you. It's not over. It's not the end of the road. There's hope for you. Better days are ahead. Come with me. That's who we're supposed to be. And we can't be that way. We're, we're, we're neutered from that if, if, if we're criticizing people every day. And one more thing, because this is close to my heart. The Bible says to pray for those who are in authority over you. Stop criticizing the president. Stop criticizing the president. I know you don't, some of you don't like his policies. I know some of you are differently persuaded politically. But you know what? You can be nice. And you can be respectful. And you can act like someone who's a follower of Jesus. And remember that you serve a kingdom that's greater than America. You belong to to Jesus Christ. And he's your Lord. And he's your Savior. And follow him. And trust that he knows who to put in office. How about that? I mean, who are you anyway? You are children of the living God. So act like it. And then he says, don't just accept people. Don't uh, Don't just help people, but be generous. I mean, would there be an outpouring of generosity of Christians who say, we're here to meet the needs of people. In these dark economic times, I'm here to help. Whatever you need, I'm here to respond. God has blessed me to bless you. When the people of God come together with that generous spirit, it is kindness that opens the doors of people's hearts. God is, if you would just get this, that God is blessing you so that you can be about his kingdom business in the world. And then if you'll, you'll do something for him and bless people and help people and pick somebody up off the ground, you'll never have to worry your whole life about your needs being met. It's the principle of God's kingdom. Now listen to me. This is what's so great about this. When he says that love or mercy triumphs over all, here's the great news. The church that ex- unconditionally accepts people, that absolutely helps people, that is generous to people, that church can never fail. Why? Because that is love, and love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. So, so get on the winning side. 
If you want to be successful, if you want to make a difference, if you want to be a part of what God is going to do in this world. And I just think about the incredible opportunity we have right now. We have an opportunity right now to be so different than our culture. That's why I love it that James started with this. He says, I don't care what you know. I don't care what you say you believe. It's all how you treat people that matters. Let there be no partiality among you. None. Instead, an incredible heart of acceptance, a spirit to get involved and to help and to encourage, and a great heart of generosity. Do you receive this today? Isn't this what we're supposed to be? I'm glad you came. I want to pray for you this morning. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute? I want to pray for you that are here and those of you watching online and on the internet and you've been listening to this today. Listen, some of you feel like you are far from God and this has been convicting. This has... This has hit all of us. There's not one of us that got away today because all of us know that none of us know how to love conditionally or unconditionally. We all show favoritism in some way. That's why the message is great. Mercy. You know who gets mercy? You do. And all you have to do is say to God, God, I need your mercy. I am a sinner. I, I'm a, I judge people. I, pre, I, I, pre, I judge people all the time. I criticize I make judgments about the way they look or about what they say or, or, or whether I think they're successful or not. And God, I'm so preoccupied with the externals. Oh God, forgive me. I wish you'd pray that prayer honestly and just ask God for mercy. Repent. It's the right thing to do. And you say, Darren, I would repent, but you don't know what I've done. I've, I've done so many things. You know, you don't know all the mistakes I've made and the different roads I went down and I didn't even want to come today, and I'm here. I didn't even want to turn on the computer. They told me I had to listen to this. Listen, God loves you. There's a reason you're listening to this today. God's wanting to tell you there is a second chance, a new fresh start, a fresh start, and all that's required is you say, God, I need your mercy. So let me pray for you, and you make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, come into my life today. I admit to you that you are God, and I am not. I am, I'm so sorry sorry for holding you at arm's distance. I'm sorry for trying to do things my own way. I, I admit I am a prejudiced person. I'm, I'm consumed with judging people. So I give that up today as best as I know how. I believe that you died on a cross for me to forgive me and I receive you. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do what you say. I humble myself before you. Father, we're all praying this prayer today. This sermon has been preached, but it is not done. We have to do it now. And I pray that you'd give us some real conviction about this country that we live in to stop fighting in the arm of the flesh, but to fight the battles on our knees and in the arm of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit to accept and to help and to be generous, to walk across the room, to walk across the street, to, to admit that we're living unaware of the great prejudice that, that this is not a post-racial America, that, that I've got to do something personally. So, so God, convict us about what we should do together. Help us to be a people that demand justice. And help us, Lord, as we seek to follow you, may we love people well and be your hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on. Isn't God's word good for you today? I'm glad you came. Thanks for showing up. 
And I love you. I don't want anybody leaving here saying, man, he yelled at me. I, I'm not yelling at you. I love you. I care about you. I'm, I'm trying to tell you the truth. And uh, here's the thing. If some of you say, today's the day I've decided to follow Jesus Christ, I'm ready to, to help you take that next step and have you publicly defer, uh, declare your faith in Christ in baptism. And you can be baptized today. We have everything that you need, clothing, towels, everything for your hair. <laughs> But listen, if Jesus died on a cross publicly, you can publicly uh, stand up in front of a handful of people after the service is gone and say, yep, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It'd be my joy to do that for you. You guys keep coming back and uh, walk across the room to somebody different than you this week and show them the love of Jesus. Will you do that for me? All right. Thank you so much. Keep coming back. Thank you, Pastor. Eternals. Oh, God, forgive me. I wish you'd pray that prayer honestly and just ask God for mercy. Repent. It's the right thing to do. And you say, Darren, I would repent, but you don't know what I've done. I've, I've done so many things. You know, you don't know all the mistakes I've made and the different roads I went down. And I didn't even want to come today, and I'm here. I didn't even want to turn on the computer. They told me I had to listen to this. Listen. God loves you. There's a reason you're listening to this today. God's wanting to tell you there is a second chance, a new fresh start, a fresh start, and all it's required is you say, God, I need your mercy. So let me pray for you, and you make this your prayer. Heavenly Father, come into my life today. I admit to you that you are God, and I am not. I am, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for holding you at arm's distance. I'm sorry for trying to do things my own way. I, I admit I am a prejudiced person. I'm, I'm consumed with judging people. So I give that up today as best as I know how. I believe that you died on a cross for me to forgive me and I receive you. I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to do what you say. I humble myself before you. Father, we're all praying this prayer today. This sermon has been preached, but it is not done. We have to do it now. And I pray that you'd give us some real conviction about this country that we live in, to stop fighting in the arm of the flesh, but to fight the battles on our knees and in the arm of the Holy, of the Holy Spirit, to accept and to help and to be generous, to walk across the room, to walk across the street, to, to admit that we're living unaware of the great prejudice, that, that this is not a post-racial America, that that I've got to do something personally. So, so God, convict us about what we should do together. Help us to be a people that demand justice. And help us, Lord, as we seek to follow you, may we love people well and be your hands and feet in this world. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen. Come on. Isn't God's word good for you today? I'm glad you came. Thanks for showing up. And I love you. I don't want anybody leaving here saying, man, he yelled at me. I, I'm not yelling at you. I love you. I care about you. I'm, I'm trying to tell you the truth. And uh, here's the thing. If some of you say, today's the day I've decided to follow Jesus Christ, I'm ready to, to help you take that next step and have you publicly defer, uh, declare your faith in Christ in baptism. And you can be baptized today. We have everything that you need, clothing, towels, everything for your hair. <laughs> But listen, if Jesus died on a cross publicly, you can publicly uh, stand up in front of a handful of people after the service is gone and say, yep, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. It'd be my joy to do that for you. You guys keep coming back and uh, walk across the room to somebody different than you this week and show them the love of Jesus. Will you do that for me? 
All right. Thank you so much. Keep coming back. Thank you, Pastor.